listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's jump into this today, and of course, you guys can write these in the comments. Thank you, Tiffany. There it is on on, uh, Facebook. The Spirit of Faith session number 10, Power Over an Antichrist Plan at Work. There it is right there. That's the session uh, where I covered the seven Bible reasons why we'll be leaving uh, before the tribulation begins. That's an excellent, excellent uh, phrase, Brandon. The rapture is a success story, not a rescue mission. That's it. That's exactly right. Thank you, Judy. So let's get into this. So obviously, uh, we're dealing with understanding the five main views of the rapture of the church. The first one, which we'll just get out of the uh, out of the way right at the beginning, is the one that I taught on in that session, the pre-tribulation rapture. And what that means is we believe that the church, the entire church, every believer that belongs to Jesus will be caught up to meet him in the air as is outlined in uh, 2 2 Thessalonians. And the Bible says that we will be caught up to meet him in the air and uh, Christ will descend from heaven with a commanding shout. And so it's important to know that we believe not a portion of the body of Christ, because the reason I say that, we're going to get into some thoughts today is some people believe like that. The entire body of Christ, every believer will be caught up to meet him and will be raptured from the earth before the very beginning of the tribulation ever starts. So no part of it, just to be clear, for every believer that that's going up in a pre-tribulation rapture, no part of the tribulation will touch us, not even a small part of it, not even moments of the tribulation will touch us as believers. And uh, of course, without going through all of the seven Bible reasons, let me just give you three things quickly. Number one is the picture of Noah's Ark. That's a foreshadowing of God's deliverance from destruction and judgment. Obviously, the flood was God's judgment upon the entire earth. But what did he do for those that were righteous? He said, build the ark, gave them instructions how to do it. He said, all of your family get inside the ark. And then God shut the door before the first drop of rain fell and before any water came up out of the ground to help the rat, to help the flood begin. So understand that the entire body of righteous people was in the ark safely before one drop of rain fell. Every drop of rain was God's judgment. And so uh, that's one picture. Another picture, as I've told you, is when two angels came into Sodom and Gomorrah and got Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah before even one portion of judgment fell. God was going to destroy those cities by fire for their wickedness. But notice, he could not destroy the cities or even begin destroying them until his righteous covenant people were out of the city. So even when they delayed, the Bible says they delayed in leaving the city, the angels took hold of them and quickly ushered them out of the city. Why did the angels do that? Because they were not supposed to be there during the judgment of God upon those cities. 
So the angels rushed them out, hurried them out of the cities. Lot and his children were saved from destruction. Then another uh, principle that I want to show you is Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds. One translation calls them tares, the wheat and the tares. And someone says to the master of the field, uh, who's getting ready to harvest his wheat, look at this, somebody has gone out and planted weeds in your field. And then instead of burning them, they said, let's burn the weeds. He said, no, you don't burn the weeds while the wheat is still in the field. If you do, you'll burn them both and destroy your harvest. He said, so what we'll do is we'll let them both grow together until the harvest time. What's happening right now? The weeds represent those that don't believe in Christ. The wheat represents the body of Christ who has accepted his sacrifice. He said, we'll let them both grow together until the harvest time. What is that? The time of the rapture. And when the harvest happens, notice what what goes on. He harvests all the wheat and separates it into his barn and then separates all the weeds and piles them into a uh, pile to be burned. And notice this, they are separated at the harvest time and the weeds are placed in a, in a position of wrath and destruction, whereas the wheat is placed into the master's barn, which could be uh, interpreted here as heaven. And so you understand that those three things are clear foreshadowing pictures of what the rapture will look like. Believers completely removed before any of God's wrath or destruction begins to take place. God has not separated us under wrath. That is not our portion. Notice Jesus took our wrath on the cross of Calvary, and now we are exempted from the wrath of God because we are in the body of Christ. That's very important to understand, and that's a, a very that's a vital point in this whole discussion is that we are the body of Christ. And so the Christ took the wrath already on the cross for those who would believe in his sacrifice. So notice, just because um, the tribulation starts doesn't mean we stop being the body of Christ. And so think about this. If we were going to be left behind for even a portion of the tribulation, that would be God pouring out his wrath on Christ's body once again, completely loss and lack of integrity. It would be completely unjust of God to do it again. Christ already suffered the penalty for sin. Why would he have to suffer it again? Why would his body have to suffer it again? doesn't make sense. It's not even scriptural. And so uh, we're going to deal with this. So that's the first view. And of course, we've covered that at length. If you want to go back and watch it, it's session 10 of the Spirit of Faith sessions. And uh, you can go back on YouTube. We have them in a playlist and they're numbered so that you can find it quickly. It's session number 10. Um, But now I want to move to uh, the second view. And um, this one is one of the main three views. I'm giving you five today. Two of them are probably little known. Most people don't know about them, don't even know they exist, but I'm going to give them to you anyway because people do believe them. But this is the second of the three big ones, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. You see that? Pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation rapture. And so let's let's discuss the mid-tribulation position. These are people 
who believe, and let me just read you the notes here. The mid-tribulation view holds that Jesus Christ will rapture his church midway through the seven-year tribulation. Thus, believers will endure the first half of the seven years of tribulation. Mid-tribulationists maintain that God's wrath will be restricted to the later or the latter half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years. But believers will be raptured to heaven before that happens. So their view is this, that we'll go through the first three and a half years because God's not really pouring out his wrath at that point. And then before the what we talked about yesterday, the great tribulation, where the Antichrist is assassinated, Satan's spirit possesses him, and then he moves toward a one world government, one world religion, one world monetary system, and the heavy um, judgments are poured out. Before that, at the three and a half year point, believers will be raptured. That's their position. Halfway through, we're going up because the first half has none of God's judgment in it, only the last half. But there are major problems with this belief system, and I'm going to help you to understand a few of them. Um, first of all, uh, one of the things that's a problem, they equate the last uh, trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 with the seventh trumpet in Revelation eleven fifteen, and the place of the rapture, and they place the rapture at that point. Although some, some mid-tribbers identify the time of the rapture as not Revelation eleven fifteen, but Revelation 14. So here's the problems. Let me, let me get into the problems for you. The first problem with the mid-tribulation theory is that the trumpets in 1 Corinthians 15 and Revelation 11 should not be equated with each other. They have notable differences in the Bible. The trumpet listed in 1 Corinthians 15 and the, the trumpet in Revelation 11. Let me give you some of the differences of those two trumpets. First, the subject of the trumpets. In 1 Corinthians, the subject is the church. And in Revelation 11, the subject is a wicked world. Secondly, the result of the trumpet. In 1 Corinthians, the result is the catching up of the church to be with the Lord. But in Revelation, it's the judgment of a godless world. The character of the trumpets. In 1 Corinthians, it's a trumpet of God's grace, but in Revelation, it's a trumpet of God's judgment. And then finally, the timing of the trumpet. In 1 Corinthians, it signals the close of the life of the church on earth, and it's the last trumpet of the church age. And in Revelation, it marks a climax in the progression of tribulation judgments. So they're not even the same trumpet. But then you go further, simply because the, the, the trumpet in 1 Corinthians 15 is called the last trumpet. That's why they say that. Well, it's called the last trumpet. That doesn't mean it's the last trumpet in God's entire prophetic plan. Trumpets will be blown again throughout, not just the tribulation, but at the second coming of Christ. Listen to this. The seventh trumpet in Revelation 11, that's not even the last trumpet in the tribulation. At the second coming of Jesus, a trumpet is blown to gather God's elect people together. So this, for them saying, well, that's the last trumpet, that actually undermines the mid-tribulation view because what they say is the last trumpet isn't even the last one in the Bible. There's one at the second coming of Christ. So their, their, their theory is flawed in that way. Secondly, and this is a big one regarding mid-tribulation rapture. This is a very big one. It actually denies the doctrine 
of imminency. Let me explain what I mean by that. The imminent return of Christ. If you've heard me teach about the rapture at any length, you'll know one of the things that Pentecostals hold and believe is that Christ could come at any moment. That the rapture differs from the second coming of Christ because while there are many signs that precede the second coming of Jesus, you can read them in Matthew 24 and other places, there are no signs that precede the rapture. The Bible says that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. There's no thief that leaves you a note to let you know when he's going to be coming to steal your stuff. The the rapture is a signless coming of Jesus. And the doctrine of imminency is this thought process, that because Christ could come at any moment, we've got to live like we're ready to see him come at any moment of time. It actually pushes us towards holiness. It pushes us towards keeping ourselves in righteousness. And so it's important that that we understand that we're actually made to live righteous and holy at all times, expecting the coming of the Lord Jesus, expecting the coming of the Lord Jesus. And it's, it has nothing to do with those that have taught the day of the Lord has already come, as some would think. You know, if you open up your Bible, there was, there was a time where Paul taught uh, not to listen to those who, who said that the day of the Lord had already come. Well, because obviously the day of the Lord had not already come yet. And the day of the Lord still hasn't come. And so, but that doesn't undermine the fact that the rapture is a signless coming of Christ. There will be no signs that precede the second coming of Jesus. And that's an important thought. That's an important thought, especially when you're teaching in regards to end times prophecy. And so one of the things I want you to see very clearly today is that the mid-tribulation portion, and that's not the only problem with it, it's not the only issue with it, but it's one of the main, because if there are, you know, if we had to go halfway through the tribulation, we would know exactly when Jesus was coming, which is a foolish thing to say. No man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. If we lived through half the tribulation, we would know exactly when Jesus was coming, which undermines scripture as well. And so I want you to see this. Very important uh, that you check this out. Um, When you're looking at the rapture, you have to remember, and people have a hard time doing this, that there's a major difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. They're completely different events. And so many times people will confuse them or they'll, what they'll do is they'll use passages in the Bible that are in regard to the second coming and teach them like they're rapture passages. You can't do that. For example, Matthew chapter 24 is not about the rapture at all. It's about the second coming of Christ. It has nothing to do with the rapture. It's about the second coming of Christ. That's why Jesus is giving you signs. The signs are about his second coming. But there are no signs. You know, if you ever heard a, a preacher say, um, you know, if you ever heard a preacher say, uh, for example, you know, there are no more prophecies left to be fulfilled before Jesus can return. He could co- come at any time. There were never any prophecies 
that had to be fulfilled before Jesus could come. He could come at any moment. His coming is imminent, you understand? And so there are some that deny the rapture of the church, but that's because they don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. So you you go on further. Uh, It's not just that it denies the doctrine of imminency. Go to number three. Uh, Mid-tribbers agree that Christians will be spared from the wrath that is poured out on the earth. So remember I told you that they believe that the first half of the tribulation, three and a half years, does not contain the wrath of God, that that only happens in the second half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, also known as the great tribulation. So they believe that we're spared from the wrath of God in the first half because it doesn't begin until the second half of the tribulation. The problem with that is that um, Revelation chapter six, and we'll go there, Revelation chapter six uh, clearly references God's wrath. And of course, by the way, Revelation chapter six is still in the first half of the tribulation and it clearly references God's wrath, which by the way, um, occurs long before the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11, which they can, they consider to be the time of the rapture. But listen to this, listen to what the Bible says in Revelation chapter six, verses 16 and 17. It's very interesting. Apparently, Randy Roth on YouTube does not believe in the rapture. That's fine. He doesn't believe in the rapture, but he's going against all kinds of biblical scholarship to hold that position because there are massive differences in the Bible between the scriptures that deal with the catching away of the church and the scriptures that deal with the second coming of Christ, and they can be in no way brought together to be uh, synergistic. They're just not the same. They're just not the same. And no amount of careful Bible study would ever bring you to that end result. So you're welcome to stay on and learn if you'd like to, Randy. But the position you hold is not even an intelligent position because they don't even match up in scripture, the things you're saying. Um, Number three, listen to Revelation chapter six, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says... Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the faith from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? This is a position in the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, that clearly references the wrath of who? Who is it? It's the wrath of the lamb. See, mid-tribbers believe that the wrath of the first half of the tribulation is the wrath of evil men on the earth or the persecution of evil men and that they believe that the rapture takes place around Revelation chapter 11 at the seventh trumpet. The problem with that is here in Revelation 6, the Bible says that... uh, who who can hide themselves from the uh, face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. So notice who's pouring out the wrath in Revelation chapter six. It is the wrath of the lamb, Jesus Christ. And so that position, well, there's there's no wrath of God in the first half of the tribulation. All of the tribulation is the wrath of God, all of it from the beginning to the end. And so that's a big hole 
That's a massive hole in the uh, mid-trib position of the rapture. It's a massive hole. There is judgment from God in the first half of the tribulation. Number four, they don't even agree among themselves, those who believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, they don't even believe among themselves uh, uh, the same thing about where the rapture should be placed in the book of Revelation. So some place it at Revelation 6, 12 through 17, others at Revelation 11, and others at Revelation 14. So they have inconsistency throughout their entire body about where the rapture actually happens in Scripture, in, in the book of Revelation. They don't even know at what point in the tribulation the rapture is happening or taking place. And so I'm sure some had to jump back to Revelation chapter 6 because the Bible still points out the wrath of the Lamb all the way back there. Others still don't agree that that's not the case. And so you keep on going. That is uh, the position of those that believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. And uh, it's inconsistent. I gave you four major reasons why it's inconsistent. And so I want you to see that. Well, now, now here's the second we're going to move on. This is the third view of the rapture, the post-tribulation rapture. Of all five views, I'll say it this way, of all five views, the pre-tribulation rapture and the post-tribulation rapture are the two most widely held views of the rapture of the church. Two of the most widely held by believers and scholars alike. And um, although the post-tribulation rapture is widely held, it still has some holes and some inconsistencies. So just to explain it, post-tribulationists believe that the rapture and the second coming are considered one event, and that might be where Randy's at. He may believe uh, that they're the same event or that they happen within moments of each other. The second coming of Christ and the rapture post-tribulation considered one event separated by a few moments. The rapture will occur at the end of the tribulation, concurrent with the second coming of Christ. So believers will meet Christ in the air, make a quick U-turn, and accompany him back to the earth. Now, there are some issues with that, obviously. So there are some holes. Um, let me just say this quickly. Uh, revelation 19 constitutes a major problem for post-tribulation believers. It's the most... Verses 11 through 21, it's the most comprehensive and detailed account of the second coming of Christ found anywhere in the Bible. And notice it contains no mention, not one mention of the resurrection or the rapture, not one mention of it. And the silence is compelling. If, we, if the rapture was post-tribulational, why would this key feature be missing? It's a key. The church is the apple of God's eye. Why would this be missing from this um, from this account? I love, uh, this is John Walvard, Dr. John Walvard, who was a prophecy scholar for many years um, and respected. If details like the casting of the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire are mentioned and the specific resurrection of tribulation saints is described, how much more the rapture and translation of the church as a whole should be have in, should have been included? If, as a matter of fact, it's part of this great event, the second coming, which it's not. They have no scriptural proof for a post-tribulational rapture in the very passages that ought to include it. Think of that. That's number one. 
So number two, the second issue with a post-tribulation rapture um, is that, as we've already pointed out, the wrath of God is not confined to the end of the tribulation as post-tribbers maintain. God's wrath is specifically mentioned as early as the sixth seal judgment in Revelation 6, and God's wrath is global in scope and devastates the entire earth. It's difficult to understand how believers could be protected from this wrath since it's universal and there's no indication that anyone on earth is fully spared from its effects. So what are you telling me? That the church who is, and here's the problem that they have, people like Randy have, they they have an issue. This is the main issue. How can they reconcile the fact that Christ, who already took our punishment for sin and gave us grace when we accept his sacrifice, that God would then again pour out judgments on the people who obediently accepted the sacrifice of Christ and became a part of the body of Christ. However, God still allows his wrath to be poured out on them as well as the rest of a wicked world. People like that don't even understand the nature or the character of God, his integrity, his holiness, or his just actions. They don't understand it. It would be foolish of God, absolutely foolish of God, to pour out his wrath, which the Bible clearly teaches he does throughout the whole world, if believers will still were still here to receive his wrath. Completely unjust. It makes the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus worthless if all it does was provide us with fire insurance for the final, you know, casting into the lake of fire. Worthless. What's the point of him taking our wrath? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, using absence to create doctrine. You, that's what you're doing, Randy. I don't know how he doesn't understand it. There is at, there's no, there's no teaching that would support. Listen to this. Third, post-tribulationists maintain that the rapture happens at the same time as the second coming. Believers will be caught up to meet the Lord Jesus in the air as he's coming from heaven to judge the world. They will then come right back to earth with him. But this raises a very important question that gets often overlooked. If God has miraculously preserved the church throughout the entire tribulation, why even have a rapture? Why bother? It's inconsequential. The Lord won't be delivering us from anything. There's really no purpose in it. Pre-tribulationism gives meaning to the rapture. If Christ comes before the tribulation, his coming is fulfilled with purpose and his, he's rescuing us from the wrath to come. <laughs> Oh, really? So here's a man that doesn't even believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. So you understand post-tribulationism holds major gaps, major flaws. And so those are the three main uh, positions that are held by most people. Pre-tribulation rapture, as we believe. Mid-tribulation rapture, as some believe. And post-tribulation rapture, as many more than mid believe. Mid is the weakest of the three, but... They, the other two have major gaps and major holes. But I want to show you some things here uh, before we do any, take any questions today. I'll show you some uh, two of the other uh, p- positions that are held 
by people. Um, and here's the other thing that makes me laugh. The other thing that makes me laugh about people who believe that there's no rapture. What does it matter if you get combatant or if you get militant about your belief system? Because it's just like atheists. It's the same thing that makes me laugh about atheists. It's like, if you don't believe there's a God, okay, you don't believe there's a God. Why do you become a militant atheist to try to disclaim, uh, to disprove the claim that others have in a real God? Well, I don't believe in it and I'm going to fight until everybody. It's like, why do you care? There's no militant people trying to prove Santa Claus doesn't exist. There's no militant people trying to prove the Easter Bunny doesn't exist. So it makes me laugh because it's like, if you don't believe in it, okay, that's fine. But why do you care if other people believe in it? It's the same with people that are all militant about the fact that there'll be no rapture. It's like, I'm going to prove that, you know, there's no rapture. There's only the second coming. It's like, what do you care? If we go through it, we go through it. So why do you care? That's a major problem in your belief system if you believe God's wrath is only hell. That's crazy. That is crazy if you believe that the tribulation does not hold the wrath of God for a wicked world. That is absolutely crazy. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's so irresponsible in your interpretation of Scripture. It's mind-boggling how somebody could be that ignorant and irresponsible in interpreting scripture. But I'll give you this. The fourth view, the fourth view is um, the partial rapture theory. Now, this one is actually a little bit funny, but listen to this. The partial rapture view, which was articulated in about mid-19th century, imagines that there will be multiple raptures that occur throughout the tribulation. And the timing of a person's rapture is based on the depth of their obedience. The partial rapture position distinguishes devout spiritual believers from worldly believers. Faithful, devoted believers who are obediently watching and waiting for Christ's coming will be raptured to heaven before the tribulation, while worldly believers, for their part, will endure some degree of the tribulation. Randy, if you really believe that, go back and watch the entire broadcast I did uh, that's listed in the comments where I actually give seven strong Bible proofs for a pre-tribulation rapture. I guarantee you won't be able to, to do anything with that. Worldly believers, for their part, will endure some degree of the tribulation and be caught up in a subsequent or subsequent raptures. Very funny. So let me give you, let me give you some holes in the partial rapture theory. Number one, the Bible consistently uses all-inclusive words like we and all when discussing the participants in the rapture, like 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. This suggests that all believers are raptured at the same time whenever it occurs. According to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the only condition for being part of the rapture is that a person be in Christ. Simply stated, all you have to do is... Uh, Trust in Jesus Christ. There's no other requirement for the rapture. No other requirement. What do you think God's going to do? Do you think uh, Do you think that God is going to dismember Christ's body at the rapture? <laughs> you think You think uh, God is going to dismember Christ's body? So some of us will be here. Others will be stripped away from their own body, 
and be taken to heaven because of their specific beliefs on the rapture. It's just not something you can back up with scripture. Secondly, the partial rapture fragments the united body of Christ. All believers are equal in their position before God and their connection with the head of the body. That's an important point. Jesus Christ. The body of Christ can't go to heaven in pieces. <laughs> when one part of the body goes, the whole body has to follow. Similarly, in the church, the bride of Christ marries Christ immediately after the rapture. As it seems to, and then the wedding cannot include only part of the bride. You can't have part of the bride at the wedding. And the partial rapture view would suggest that you do have part of the bride there, not the whole bride. Third, listen to this. This is a major issue. All believers are promised immunity from God's wrath during the day of the Lord. That's in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and Revelation 3.10. The partial rapture view creates a kind of living purgatory on the earth during tribulation. So you got some of the believers up in heaven rejoicing with Christ and others that are staying here having to wait, go through purgatory, go through judgment, waiting to be raptured later. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Fourth reason, listen to this. Since faithful believers are spared from tribulation according to partial rapture view and worldly believers aren't, <laughs> here's, the, here's the real question. What need is there to reward believers at the judgment seat of Christ? The rapture itself would be reward enough for the faithful. It makes the judgment seat of Christ non-necessary. It's, it's unnecessary, non-important. No, it's Revelation 3.10 and 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And then finally, the fifth reason. If this is a funny one, this actually makes, makes me laugh. If the timing of our rapture depends on our own spiritual maturity, listen to this, how faithful and obedient do we actually have to be? Where's the mark? What degree of devotion and maturity is required to be worthy of inclu inclusion in the first group that goes? The Bible never says clearly. And this ambiguity concerning what's specifically required is a serious weakness of the view. It's like one time a, a, a guy called my dad late at night, late at night, and said, Brother Ted, the Lord just gave me a revelation. He said, really, what is, what is the revelation? He said, the Lord just showed me only skinny people are going up in the rapture. This is like three in the morning. My dad's like, oh, really? He said, so let me ask you. And this is the same problem here. He said, so let me ask you, what is the going weight for heaven? <laughs> At what weight are you cut off from the rapture? What do you think? Like the cranes of heaven can only hold so, so much weight when they're pulling you up into heaven? And so literally, <laughs> people ask the question, what's the going weight for the rapture? Only skinny people are going up into the rapture. That's what the guy said. It's the same picture here. Only those that truly believe in the rapture, only those that are truly devoted as Christians will go up. Oh, really? So explain then what truly devoted means. Because anything, anything that actually um, tries to put specifics and tries to create a caste system in the body of Christ is divisive and it's not found in scripture. It's not found in scripture. The, the body of Christ is not divided into different castes or different levels. These are the elite ones. These are the ones that don't matter that much. The Bible doesn't do that. We're all in Christ. And Paul, <clears throat> Paul actually 
uh, rebukes the Corinthian church for thinking like that and has to remind them, don't you understand that we are all part of the body of Christ? Members in particular. And then begins to say things. How can the eyes say to the ears, I don't have need of you? You know, meaning and showing them every part of the body is important. Every part of God's body is important. I've always I've I've said this to people often to just get them thinking. You know, if you think that there's an insignificant part of your body, then you know, when you get home, you know, because people think that they're insignificant. People have an issue with their own uh, ability to to have security in their own in their own mindset, and so they'll say, um, you know, well, I'm just an insignificant part of the body. I say, if you think there's such a thing as an insignificant part of the body, when you get home tonight, take a hammer out of the toolbox and smash your pinky toe against the floor. If you think, well, the pinky toe is not really important, smash it and see how the rest of your body cries out, cries out. We need it. (laughs) And absolutely it's true. We do need it. We do need it. No, Randy's uh, Randy's misunderstanding. I didn't say that the re- that the uh, Revelation three ten states anything about the rapture. Revelation three ten states that God's people will be kept. Look what it says. It says this because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Notice. It doesn't say lake of fire, Randy. It doesn't say hell, Randy. It says coming for those who dwell on the earth, which shows that God is going to pour out his wrath, not just in hell, not just in Hades, as is happening right now, but to all of those who dwell upon the earth. And we will not be among those people. We're spared from that wrath as the body of Christ. And so that's the same issue they have here. Number five with the uh, what we would call the partial rapture is the fact that what level of obedience qualifies you for the rapture? What level of obedience qualifies you to go up in the first train that's going to heaven? It doesn't make sense and it's not scripturally accurate. And so I'll take you to the fifth view. This is what's called the pre-wrath. Now that might sound a little confusing because as I told you before, uh, even the mid-tribulation believers believe that their rapture is pre-wrath, that it doesn't happen till the second half of the tribulation. However, um, the pre-wrath rapture believers actually goes further into the rapture before wrath takes place. Um, listen to this. The Bible says the pre-wrath, uh, this is what they believe about the, the final part of scripture. The pre-wrath view holds that the rapture will occur five and a half years into the tribulation. It's a three-quarters tribulation. Let me stop and say, for anybody that might be viewing the comments, um, (laughs) it's actually funny to me that people like Randy, they say, well, you know, the word rapture is a problem because that's a fable. It has to be added into the Bible. As if we don't know that the word rapture is something that came out of the Latin translation of the original languages. Well, you know the word, the rapture. Rapture is not even in the Bible. How you teach the rapture? It's not, that word was not even in the Bible. Duh. Like, like we don't understand the transmission of scripture, you genius. Of course, we know that the word rapture came from the Latin language when it was being translated from the originals. But it actually came from what Paul said, a catching away, a catching away of the church. So, 
for anybody that hears that argument, I only say that because um, people people will say, well, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Obviously, the word rapture is the word, you know, it's the word that means catching away. And it was translated from the Latin word into English. We know that that word is not in the original languages. I mean, it's like, it cracks me up that people even make that argument. It's like that, you know, you know what else, you know what other words aren't in the Bible? Bible. <laughs> Bible's not in the Bible. Uh, the pre-wrath view holds that it will occur during five and a half years into the tribulation. It's a three-quarters tribulation view. The calamities up to that point in this view result from the wrath of man and the wrath of Satan, not the wrath of God. Pre-wrath rapturous view, uh, the events of the sixth seal as the signs of the impending day of the Lord. When they limit to the final quarter of the tribulation, um, God's wrath is not poured out until the seventh seal in Revelation. Thus, believers will be raptured between the sixth and seventh seals in Revelation. Thus, believers um, are just before the wrath of God. The day of the Lord begins, in other words, the day of the Lord commences near the end of the tribulation, not the beginning. Here's a key problem. With this timing, that's according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, the day of the Lord comes unexpectedly while people are everywhere saying peace and safety. Peace and safety. And so understand, nobody at this point in the tribulation will be saying peace and safety. It will not be that kind of a time. Just look at the, what the Bible teaches about what will be happening at that time. Nobody will, ha have, will be saying peace and safety. Very important. Um, listen to this. Paul Benware explains it this way. According to the pre-wrath view, the sixth seal <clears throat> will just have been broken, which will result in earthquakes and great cosmic disturbances that will cause incredible terror to the inhabitants of the earth, Revelation 6, 12 through 17. In, in, in fact, more than one-fourth of the world's population will have been recently destroyed by famines, disease, and widespread warfare on the earth. It does not seem likely that the people of the world will be saying peace and safety. When more than a billion people, and, and now it would be more than that if you go by the population of the earth today, you call, talk about a quarter of the earth, say a billion people left and six billion were left behind. Now think about it. 1.5 billion people die and are gone. They won't be saying peace and safety. It's not how it works. And so the wrath of God does not begin near the end of the tribulation, but at the very beginning. The seal judgments in Revelation 6 are opened by the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Here's what I don't get. How can nobody understand that it's not the judgment of men and it's not the judgment of Satan when Jesus Christ himself opens up the judgments? If Jesus is the one who's opening them, that and he is God, by the way. John chapter 1 and verse 1, read it for yourself. The word is God. So if he's the one that's opening up the judgments, how can anyone say it's not the judgment of God when it is God who is opening up the judgments? Doesn't even make logical sense. I mean, a kindergartner could understand this. It's crazy. Opened by the Lamb at the very beginning of the tribulation. He is the source of these judgments. 
To argue that they're the wrath of man and Satan ignores that the one bringing these judgments forth is the Lamb. While the frequency and intensity of these judgments clearly increase, all of the judgments are the result of God's wrath. All of them are. All of them are. The entire time of the tribulation is a portion of God's wrath. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this. If you look back at some of the things that we we read from, um, you look back at some of the things that we have read, um, <laughs> Christians will not be confronted with the mark of the beast. I dealt with that yesterday, Randy. Go back and watch. It'd be a great day for you to learn things, Randy. <laughs> Today could be like tutorial for Randy day. <laughs> but understand this. If you go back just to some of the earlier foreshadowing in the Old Testament, Noah's Ark. Would it have killed? Let me ask you a question. Think about this. Would it have killed Noah for he and his family to have been rained on as they were getting ready to get in the ark? Would it have would it have killed them? No, it wouldn't have killed them. It wasn't like acid rain, you know. So the question being, would it have killed Noah and his family? for the waters to start coming up out of the ground as they were getting on the ark, get their feet wet? No, it wouldn't have killed them. It wouldn't have killed them. But the question being, why did God ensure that they were safely on the ark before any of that happened? Because remember this, every drop of rain, remember this, it had never, ever rained before. It never rained. So imagine this. Every droplet of rain represented the wrath of God. Every one. Every one. All of the water that gushed up through the ground represented the wrath of God. The fact that God put his people into safety and closed the door before the rain fell shows us that God did not want one drop, whether it killed them or not, has nothing to do with fatality. Has nothing to do with, well, God doesn't want his people killed by his judgment. It's more than that. God doesn't want his people touched by his judgment. He does not want his people touched by his judgment. Think about this. Let me read it to you. It's important to understand this. He doesn't want his people touched. Not only that, you go back to what I was talking about in the book of Genesis, Lot and his family. Let me ask you this. Could could the um could the fire could the brimstone have begun to fall in different parts of the city? The twin cities, if you study history, Sodom and Gomorrah were twin cities. Could those fire and brimstone moments have begun as they were still in the city, but coming out without killing them? Absolutely, they could have. Absolutely, they could have. But notice what happened. They were completely out 
of the city, completely out of the city, before the judgment began. Notice that. Yeah, Noah didn't shut the door. That's right, Mary. God shut the door. God shut the door. He shut them into their protection. He shut them in to that place of covenant so that not one drop of rain, not one drop of judgment fell upon God's people. Not one drop of judgment fell upon Lot and his family. And then consider the parable of the wheat and the tares. The master specifically says that we don't burn the weeds while the wheat is still in the field or you'll destroy the wheat. And so what do you do? You separate them. You pull and harvest the wheat out of the field and then you harvest the weeds and put them in a pile to be burned. You put them in a pile to be burned. So I'm just going to tell you, it's, first of all, and, and I don't even know, like people that don't believe, you know, first of all, people that don't believe in, in, in a rapture at all, you know, that's fine. I mean, you have to, you have to jump over all kinds of scripture to not believe in a rapture at all. In fact, <laughs> it's interesting if you, if, listen, if you have a, a, a Dakes Notes Bible, throw a hand up in the comments section if you've got a Dakes Notes Bible. I'd like to see who actually has one. And again, I don't agree with everything um, that Dake has to say about end times Bible prophecy. But I did find it very interesting that when dealing with the rapture of the church versus the second coming of Christ, Dake has an entire list. And you know what I'll do? I'll do this because I know people would like to hear something like this. I'm, I'm going to actually read them to you. Let me read you this. <laughs> Looking at all those hands in the comments. I think it's important to read you this because People that deny that there is even a rapture at all have to do so much, so much biblical gymnastics and misinterpret Bible prophecy that it's insane. Let me read you these, just for those of you that are on. This is found um, in Dake's notes on the Bible. Speaking of the rapture versus the second coming of Christ, 
And he gives, by the way, and I'll post this maybe afterwards so that you guys can have the notes. He puts them side by side in a column or a table, almost like an Excel spreadsheet. And with the scriptures listed, he shows you the differences between the rapture of the church, the catching away, and the second coming of Christ. Number one, and, and I'll, I'll always be reading the rapture versus the second coming in that order. Rapture, it's this. Second coming, it's this. First, in the rapture, Christ comes in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. In the return or second coming, he comes to the earth itself. In the rapture, he comes for his saints. In the second coming, he comes with his saints. In the rapture, he claims his bride. In the return, he comes with his bride. The rapture is not predicted in the Old Testament, but the return is predicted often in the Old Testament. In the rapture, there are no signs. It is imminent. In the return or the second coming, there are many signs, Matthew 24. In the rapture, it's a time of blessing and comfort, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. At the return of the second coming, it's a time of destruction and judgment. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. In the rapture, it involves believers only. John 14, 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. But the return of the second coming involves Israel and the Gentile nations. In the rapture, it'll occur, it'll occur in a moment in the time it takes only to blink. And only his own will see him. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 52. But in the second coming, his coming will be visible to the entire world. Matthew 24, 27 and Revelation 1, 7. In the rapture, it signals the beginning of the tribulation. In the second coming, it signals the beginning of the millennium. In the rapture, Christ comes as the bright and morning star, Revelation 22, 16. But in the second coming, Christ comes as the son of righteousness, Malachi 4.2. So understand there's many differences between the what, what we would call the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. They're not the same event. They couldn't even be the same event. There are too many differing positions in scripture about the two comings of Christ for them to even be the same event. How, how, can, how can Christ's coming be so quick that in the twinkling of an eye, it'll happen and nobody, nobody will see it happen. But during his second coming, the entire world will see him come back and he'll touch down on the earth. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But it's important to understand. And that's why I gave you um, it, that's why I gave you today, because if I only covered, uh, the pre-tribulation position of the rapture, I want you to understand that there are other positions out there, but that they don't, number one, they don't take into account a very important fact. And that is this, that Christians, those that belong to Jesus Christ, part of his body, they are not people that have been destined for the wrath of God of any kind, not just the lake of fire, not just Hades, 
but any of God's wrath that's poured out upon the earth. That's why I did, um, you know, that, that's why I did those broadcasts talking about even like coronavirus. You know, it's important to understand, you know, there's people, there's preachers that are actually preaching that the coronavirus, COVID-19, is the wrath of God upon the earth right now. God's judging sin right now, which is not true. It is not true. God is not judging sin right now on the earth. We're living in a time of grace where the gospel's being preached and God is giving people a space of time to repent before the end. A space of time to repent. God's not judging sin right now. He is not judging sin right now. In fact, if you've never heard that before, maybe maybe you're watching, you've never heard that position before ever. Listen to this. I'll read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me, uh, it's, it's Dake's, it's Finnis Dake's notes on the Bible. It's a Dake's reference Bible, D-A-K-E apostrophe S, Dake's reference Bible. It's his notes on the King James Bible. It's a phenomenal study tool. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I'll start. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, making uh, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled unto God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So understand, during this time of grace, Christ's sacrifice being poured out for the world, God making us ambassadors, and to do the work of reconciliation, calling others to Christ... Notice what the scripture said, Paul taught, not holding, not holding, very important, the trespasses of the world against them. So this is not a time where God is holding the trespasses of the world against them. He's giving them a space of grace to repent and come to Christ. That's the point. It's a space of grace. God's not taking this time right now to judge sin on the earth. It's not what he's doing. It's not what he's doing. And so you, you understand we have an opportunity. Why do we take time to preach and teach on end times Bible prophecy? It's a sign. You know, the, the, the prophecies that are in the word of God, the Bible was over one third prophecy at the time it was written. Over 85% of those prophecies have already specifically been fulfilled, specifically been fulfilled. And 15% more that are about to be fulfilled as Christ returns. The things that are written about in Thessalonians, Corinthians, the book of Revelation, it's about to take place. And this is a sign and a warning for everybody that's not living for Christ, that Christ is coming soon. This should set us on fire to do the work that God's called us to do. This should, this should set us on fire. 
This should set us in a position where we're ready to do what Christ has called us to do and fulfill the Great Commission and ensure, I don't care who knows or who doesn't know, I'm going to keep on saying it until Jesus comes. Then it's time to be ready to see him when he does come. See, there's always an urgency. I don't talk about Bible prophecy for the sake of, of Bible prophecy because it's an interesting study. It's more than an interesting study. It's part of your fuel as a believer to have urgency in your heart, knowing that there's a real heaven and there's a real hell and that we've got to be ready to see Jesus when he comes and others need to be ready. <laughs> it's so funny that people, carry. are you referencing the passage from Isaiah or from Proverbs? It's so funny. I told my cousin, I said, it blows my mind in the time of coronavirus how many people blatantly take scriptures out of context for their purposes. Do you honestly think, and, and Carrie, I'm sure you're asking with a genuine heart, but let me ask you, do you honestly think that Isaiah was prophesying about coronavirus in 2020? when he said those things and wrote those things? Do you honestly think that the writer of Proverbs was thinking of coronavirus or prophesying somehow about coronavirus? <laughs> Carrie, let me tell you, he wasn't, and it has nothing to do. First of all, the passage from Isaiah is a prophetic passage about end times Bible prophecy, about the millennium, has nothing to do with 2020 and the coronavirus. People are so fearful that they're taking scriptures out of context all over the world. Proverbs 22.3, I dealt with it on another broadcast, has nothing to do with coronavirus. Understand, context is important. I would say that to Randy. <laughs> context is important. It's important you understand the Bible, and it's important you understand context and how to properly, hermeneutically divide the word of God. But it's not just for the sake of studying it. Prophecy is an interesting subject to be studied by everybody. People love the study of prophecy. But I want you to hear me very clearly. It's not to just be studied because it's interesting. It puts an urgency in your spirit, knowing what's coming to pass. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming. And if he's coming, if he's coming, then we've got to be ready to see him. We've got to be ready to see him. You know what, Mackenzie? Mackenzie's asking a question regarding uh, the day of the Lord. Um, it's, it's actually a very good question. And she's saying that Dake's notes, and like I said, Dake's, um, the way that Dake explains things is not always the way that I agree with them. I think that there are some things um, that he says that I don't necessarily agree with his position. For example, one of the things that I, uh, I mentioned earlier was that um, he seems to interpret Bible prophecy um, in light of the generation that he lived. And so rather than reading literally what the Bible said, he read into it from his own generation. You know, for example, like the, the day of the, 
uh, excuse me, the two witnesses, you know, he would say, well, you know, that means that everybody, um, everybody, uh, in his region, in their region would see the bodies of the witnesses on the ground. Not everyone in the world, nobody in the world can see an event happen. Well, that's interpretation from his day. Maybe when he lived, you know, not everybody, and they couldn't, couldn't see an event happen all over the world live while it was happening. Today, it can happen literally. It absolutely can happen literally. And so there were some things the way he, in the way that he interpreted Bible prophecy that I did not agree with the way he looked at it. Um, but I'll tell you the best thing you can do, Mackenzie, is a book that will help you understand all those things. And it covers even the, the mentioning of, of the day of the Lord in every passage in the scripture, uh, is that book that we're talking about the end by Dr. Uh, Mark Hitchcock. It will help you because it me- it goes through a whole teaching on the day of the Lord and what it means, uh, throughout every mention in the Bible of the day of the Lord. Hippocrate. Randy, Randy Ross said, Hippocrate, that's, I, I, I'm not sure if that's like an, a shipping crate that they use to ship hippos for the zoo, but a Hippocrate, that's interesting. I will Google that after the broadcast is over. Hippocrate. I usually don't actually take scriptural rebukes and I usually don't take scriptural advice from people who can't spell past like an eighth grade spelling level. I've noticed that people who can't spell probably also can't interpret scripture properly. So I've made that kind of a rule of my life. If people misspell words and they're, they're not able to like communicate thoughts in like at a seventh or eighth grade level, I normally don't take rebukes from them, scriptural rebukes or Bible doctrine advice most of the time. I mean, maybe there would be um, some exceptions to that, but for the most part, that's my stance on people that can't spell is that they probably also can't interpret the Bible properly. It does take, you know, a fair amount of ability in reading and writing, you know, to do well with intelligence. So I understand that the average American now reads at a fifth or sixth grade reading level. It's sad. You know, we need to do better in reading and writing. I say all that tongue in cheek. Um, no, seriously, Randy, we love you, and we appreciate you being on the broadcast. Um, I'll take some time. I'll take some time for those that are actually truly hungry. <laughs> I know in a day of spell check, how can you do it in a day when when there's spell check? Um, it's like angrily typing hippocrate, hippocrate, some somewhere like <laughs> somewhere like in a, a dark room with the glow of the screen on his face, hippocrate. Um, Allison says, do you believe, Allison, let me, uh, that's the book, by the way, uh, Mackenzie, if you're wondering which book it was, that's the book right there, The End by Dr. Hitchcock. Um, let me look, uh, Allison had a, qu- a question quickly. Let me just see if I can see what it says. <laughs> I'm just cracking myself up. <laughs> um Correct, Gary. That is what he tells the believers. Um, Do you think believers can get a urgency that the rapture is near because Jesus is coming so soon? I don't know what you mean by that. We should already have an urgency because of Bible prophecy, Allison. The, The urgency comes from God's word that because we know Christ could come at any moment and we're seeing signs for the second coming of Christ now. 
We should have that urgency. We should easily see that urgency uh, manifest in our own lives to go after um, the lost, you know. <laughs> that complete wrong because we are lead by the Holy Spirit and not by power. Now you're judging. Don't know what that means, Mike. Mike overmind. Mike undermind. Don't know what that means. Gary, so it seems that believers will be put to death for not taking the mark of the beast. That's correct. Those are tribulation saints. Those are not the body of Christ. Those, if you read the, if you read the Bible in context and study Bible prophecy, those that will be beheaded for not taking the mark of the beast are not church age believers, but tribulation saints that converted after the rapture. Yeah. <laughs> Randy, take it easy. Get a sense of humor. You came in guns blazing, few jokes, and you're offended. You're on my broadcast. I'm not on yours. Take a joke for crying out loud. And Randy, I want to encourage you to partner with our ministry after the broadcast is over. What is this spell check you speak of? Um, you're welcome. You're very welcome. JD, pride, no good. That's true. Pride is no good, JD. Bible says it. <laughs> belittling others isn't cool no you're right take a joke buddy I'm not angry at you <laughs> typos are necessary due to the fact that you talk so fast well excuse me I am wicked seriously you are wicked <laughs> seriously though Randy I want to encourage you to partner with this ministry financially I know you believe in us Yes, Ariana, uh, they will be judged separately and differently. Mackenzie, <laughs> is there a weight limit for the rapture asking for a friend? It won't be too late, Ariana. That's the point. Peter and Jude both call you wicked. <laughs> Neither Peter and Jude knew me. Peter nor Jude. They didn't know me. Unless it's like a, a dude named Peter and a dude named Jude that you know that are like there with you now. Um that are like both currently calling me wicked from wherever you guys are writing from. Thank you, Kathy, for sowing a seed. Allison, if you have the question, send it. Articulate it differently. <laughs> Coco de Paris, love one another. You can have fun with people and still love them. I don't not love Randy. Why would anybody think that I don't love Randy? I do love him. I love Randy Roth. He's my brother in Christ. <laughs> you can always count on Coco de Paris to put in some sort of a, a prayer for salvation in the comments. She loves calling people to Jesus, and that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. I'm wicked. <laughs> Take a joke, Randy Roth. Makes me laugh. <laughs> I forgot about that song, Kenzie. I'd rather eat Randy. 
That's a real song. Yes, that's right. Amen, JD. Jesus already won. Can we just can't we just celebrate that? Yes, yes, you you could you can. We're not not celebrating the fact Jesus already won. Part of the pre-tribulation rapture is the fact that he already won. And now he's seated in heavenly places and coming back soon. <laughs> Wicked good. Thank you. Thank you, Kim Gibb. It just makes me laugh. People are so funny. Once again, belittling others is not cool. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you, DJ. DJ said, JD said, evil. Evil. <laughs> you guys are funny. That's a great question. How are you teaching your kids on the rapture? Um, you can start, you know, uh, very simply, obviously. Um, yes, Daniel, I do believe that uh, Gentiles can be converted after the rapture. The 144,000 that the, the Bible speaks of is um, our Jewish evangelists that will actually be preaching the gospel. So yes, I do. I believe that they can be converted after the, after the rapture takes place. Jamie, that's a great question. How are we teaching kids uh, about the rapture? Um, you can start simply. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to go into all the depth and detail that we've done in these last two broadcasts. You can actually, um, you can actually start simply, just explaining about the love of God, explaining about you know punishments that um, you know. For example, you, a great way to explain it would be that. Um, you could tell them the story. You know, one of the things we did in the uh, the book of uh, that I wrote, uh, "Blood on the Door," explaining that story of the the child in school back when they could still spank children in school, the child that took the spanking for the other child, so that he didn't have to take the spanking. Um, which that story still gets me every time I tell it. That by literally by uh, by grace, that child stepped up and said. Um, I'll take his spanking for him. Even though the kid was the one that did the wrong thing, the other the other child said, I'll take his spanking for him. You can use that uh, understanding of substitu substitutionary judgment that Christ took our punishment for us. You know, when our, our child who's very little, you know, will tell him, you know, Jesus took your spanking for you so that you don't have to have a spanking kind of a thing. Just letting them understand um, that uh, Jesus took it for us. So you don't have to get into super detail at a young, young age, but continue to explain to them why we believe what we believe. Um, it's very, yeah, exactly, JD. That's what that's the reference, the first Passover. But don't buy it, JD, because I'm wicked. Excellent question, though. And they should understand these things. You know, kids can understand. What, I, what, I'm, re what I'm realizing is if kids can understand all the deep stuff in the shows they watch now, I mean, the shows are deep. The movies are deep. You know, if they can understand that stuff, they can understand biblical things. You know, they can understand biblical things. Randy, don't say bull. I do love you. I do love you. And I mean it. You're my brother in Christ. Just because I'm, you know, throwing a little jibba jabs here at you there, here and there. Learn to laugh at yourself. It's fun. And it's important. Karen said, I was wondering if there'll be a revival of the church in the end, because in Timothy it doesn't say that the church will be dead in the end. Well, of course, the Bible prophesies there'll be a great falling away. The hearts and the love of many will grow cold, the Bible says. 
They will prefer to hear doctrines of devils. Um, but I still believe that God will be moving among his people because the Holy Spirit is not removed from the earth and he's not removed from his true church. And so the Holy Spirit will never stop moving uh, in his church and among his people. But remember Bible prophecy. The Bible says it will not be the majority of the earth that goes to heaven, but it'll be a straight and a narrow path and few there will be that find it. Few there will be that find it. And so it's important to understand that it's not the majority of people that will be saved, but it'll be the minority of people uh, that are saved. (laughs) Randy's so offended. He's so offended. No question, JD. Jesus is the Passover lamb. (laughs) You guys are the best. If you have any more questions, you can keep sending them in. Of course, anybody that's connected to us by text message, if you're not, you can do that. You can go to miracleword.com forward slash text, and it'll connect us. You can actually put your information right in my phone book, and we can, uh, we can stay connected via text message. If you have questions, if you have prayer requests, I'm happy to hear them. We pray for you by name, literally, and uh, we're happy to be connected with you if you want to do that. People are making me laugh. Don't stop making me laugh. But we do want to connect with you. Love you, Alan. Good to see you on today. Love you, buddy. Um, Hey, DJ, I understand. Royal Ranger Trailblazer here as well. Assistant Commander. I don't hear nobody. (laughs) Absolutely. Father, touch Karen. I take authority over that asthma in Jesus' name. Commanded to leave her body by the power of the Holy Ghost. Make her whole. Give her freedom from it. In Jesus' mighty name. Tyler said, I grew up hearing that the Holy Spirit uh, was the restrainer uh, and was to be removed. And yeah, I'm sure people taught that too. I've heard that before, Tyler, but it doesn't make scriptural sense because the Holy Spirit's omnipresent and there will be people saved during the tribulation. So he has to be involved in that. And so we understand that it would be the Spirit-filled church, the agents of change on the earth that um, that are literally the one holding back the spirit of Antichrist. Yes, JD on Periscope, ask your question. Uh, we'll give you updates on the next uh, the next scheduled thing that we have going on is we'll be heading up to Canada um, as far as I know, but we'll keep you updated with what's going on uh, as borders are opening up. This month I was supposed to be in South Africa and Jamaica and West Virginia, other places, but obviously they closed the, the borders of the nations. And so obviously we couldn't get in. I would, if, listen, if they were open, I would have gone because um, I, I'm, I believe in what I preach. So I would have been there. Sarnia, Ontario, Andrew, depending on what goes on with the, um, depending on what goes on with the, um, the borders opening up and things happening like that. And so, um, yeah, exactly, Tyler. So that's, that's, that's going to be the story, but we'll keep you guys updated and let you know what's going on. We love you so much and appreciate you. I want to encourage you, especially Brother Randy, uh, that are watching, to sow a seed today into this ministry. Those of you that are watching, we appreciate you. And do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. No pressure, but if you feel to sow a seed or partner with this ministry, do it. God blesses you for your obedience. That would be great, Andrew. Would love to have you there. We would love to have you there. Love to have you there. 
And so there on the screen, you can see how to uh, sow a seed or partner with our ministry. You can always use hashtag donate in the comments if you're on Twitter, Periscope, or um, Facebook. If you're not, if you're on YouTube, or if you're listening on the podcast, you can always go to miracleword.com, use PayPal. You can always use um, Cash App as well, or Venmo. All the information's on the screen. Thank you to everybody that's sowing seed. And by the way, to help you, because this is what we want to do. We want you to have the truth, and we want you to see it biblically. For every person that's partnering with us this month, we're going to be sending this book, The End, by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Phenomenal, comprehensive overview of Bible prophecy and the end of days. About 530 pages. Uh, This man is a serious scholar when it comes to end times Bible prophecy. Uh, Sat directly under... Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost, who wrote Things to Come, phenomenal book also, but but written more like a textbook. The end is more for the layperson and phenomenal. I mean, it covers every question that you would have uh, regarding, regarding end times Bible prophecy. So that's our, our, our gift to you. I agree. I agree, Alan. It is a must for every Christian. Um, phenomenal book. It will answer your questions, help you to understand from the word of God how... Uh, we believe what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And then, of course, for every person that's partnering with us at $1,000 or more, we're sending this phenomenal study tool, Life Application Study Bible, Genuine Leather, New Living Translation, uh, just to give you something to say thank you along with the book. We appreciate you. And we have so many people that are standing with us. We have just some of their names that are being shown to you right now. Uh, and we're just recognizing and saying we love them. Tina King, Charles Lewis, Ben and Amy, Jerome, Philip Kong. So many people. I tried to put them into the, I put them all in the program and it crashed the program. So I had to cut back to just a few, but we're very, very thankful. My friend, Pastor Allen, uh, that is on right now, Encounter Today, he's always stood with us and believed in this ministry. We stand with him. And of course, since he's on, let me make mention of his book, Encounter by Pastor Alan DeDio. If you, don't, if you guys don't have this, get a copy of it. Get a copy of this book. Forward by Dr. Rod Parsley. This will bless you. And uh, that's my friend, Pastor Alan DeDio. Love him. He's doing such a phenomenal job in the body of Christ. And now his son's rising up in the anointing. And he's anointed. Great man of God. I love Evan. Love their whole family. Appreciate you guys very much. Everybody that's sowing. Everybody that's giving. Uh, Tammy. I'm trying to look for, um, trying to look for your question in case I missed it. I don't want to miss it. I'm going back to try to find it, Tammy. If I can't find it, just please copy and paste it in again. Uh, <clears throat> oh, do we all have to come back to the earth with Jesus? And who are the elite who can be fooled when Satan is released for a thousand years? So here's an interesting thought, Tammy. Yes, we will all come back with Jesus when he comes back at his second coming. We will be here during the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. Um, We will not be fooled by Satan because we will already have been glorified. Uh, We will have already been to heaven. But understand this. There will be human beings. This is what freaks people out. There will be human beings that did not die in the tribulation that will pass on into the millennium still living as human beings, not glorified bodies, not having gone to heaven. They will continue on into the millennium living as human beings. And for a thousand years, they will continue to marry, 
have children, populate the earth again, and under the rule of Christ, who will rule and reign from Jerusalem, they will fill the earth and populate the earth, and so there will still be human beings on the earth in their flesh bodies that will still commit sins. And so we'll still have to preach the gospel to them. The Bible says that Jesus will quickly judge sin in that time and that it'll be a different kind of time than it is now, but there'll be humans. And then at the end, when Satan is released again, he will be able to uh, draw to himself people who are deceived. And then of course, they'll try to stand against Christ and against God, but we will not be those people that are deceived by Satan. It will be those that are still considered human beings, mortal human beings that are on the earth during the millennial reign of Christ. And so it's two different groups of people. The believers have already been to heaven. Their bodies are glorified. They've returned with Christ in power and authority, and we will help him rule and reign on the earth during the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, It will be the humans that are tempted by Satan at the end and as he draws people to himself. So that's a very interesting thought. Um, But that stuff is all covered. Once again, you can read about all of that uh, and study that that portion of the millennium in that book, which is phenomenal, The End by Dr. Hitchcock. And thank you, Tammy, and thank all of you for your questions. I appreciate it. Even my friend Randy, who I love. <laughs> love my friend Randy. You, you know, it's funny. You don't actually have to add the term second coming. He's like, you have to add the term second coming Um, to the Bible for it to be relevant. You don't have to add the term second coming. All you have to do is be able to count. His first coming already happened when he was a baby in a manger. That was number one. The second time when he comes to the earth will be his second coming. One, two. You don't have to add the term second coming for it to be relevant. It's just the second time he comes to the earth. People make me laugh. Hey, I'm believing you will, Kelly. Have that baby. Have the baby, Kelly. Praying for you and Bill. Thanking God for an easy, quick, peaceful delivery and a healthy baby. I felt like we went from to Sesame Street right there. I felt like count the count. One, ah, ah, ah. Two, ah, ah, ah. (laughs) Three, ah, ah, ah. (laughs) You got to add the term second coming. It's not in the Bible. Nope, you just got to be able to count. That's all you have to be able to do. (laughs) I love you guys. Listen, I want to give you a quick announcement, by the way. Um... I'll be back. I'll be back tonight at 7 p.m. for the Spirit of Faith session. But tomorrow, you'll be able to join me. And of course, we'll share this. Tomorrow, I'm going to be in the uh, My Faith USA studio and uh, preaching live, uh, not just in the U.S., but in Africa, all through the U.K. Yesterday, or tomorrow, I'll be preaching live. We'll share the feed uh, on Facebook and let you know where to watch, but it'll start at 12 noon Eastern time, 12 noon Eastern time. And the whole session will go about till, till about 2 PM Eastern time. So I will be with, um, doctors, Andre and Jenny Raybert. Um, and, uh, it's going to be great. So tomorrow, 12 noon to about 2 PM, my faith TV, 
uh, which covers U.S., all of Africa, U.K., and uh, it's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we will share it. You'll be aware of it. Starts tomorrow at noon. And then, of course, we'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Spirit of Faith session. And uh, possibly Friday as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, we'll be preaching live all over the world tomorrow. And I'm excited because I need to preach. Amen. Preachers need to preach. It's important. It's important for them to do so. So I want you guys to join me uh, tomorrow live. And we'll, I'll make some, I'll post stuff on social and you'll know where to find it. And of course, we'll share the feed on Facebook and everything. So um, looking forward to that. I love you guys. We'll be back. Just a few hours, really, tonight at 7 p.m., Spirit of Faith Sessions. Share this with somebody. Let's have ourselves a little bit of a praise break on the way out. CLC. CLC. Singing my favorite song, I'm a Pentecostal. Let's have a praise break on the way out today. I love you guys. I hope this helped you. If it did, share it with somebody. And uh, I'll see you again tonight, 7 o'clock. I love you. Randy, love you, buddy. We'll see you guys soon.
Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.